Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, sharing God's word. Uh, before we do that, let us uh, pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to worship you, uh, those joining with us on campus and those joining with us online. To God be the glory. Lord, I was reminded uh, this past week of just uh, the value of life. At a funeral on Wednesday, a dear sister in the Lord, 95 years of life on this earth and called home. Lord, I was reminded of the longevity of life, but I was also reminded of the brevity, the shortness of life in that very same cemetery where that funeral, that graveside was done. My oldest son was also buried. And though he was not given 95 years on this earth, the small hours that he was given life was tremendously impactful. And so, Lord, as we consider, appreciate, and celebrate life, we do so from the womb to the tomb. Lord, we know that life is not easy. There are women who have um, conceived in un, uh, tragic circumstances at times, not ideal circumstances at times. We know that there are many who struggle with different ailments in life, not just for a short season, but for many seasons. And in all those circumstances, Lord, we, we trust in your goodness. We trust in your word. We trust in your glory. Uh, and so, Lord, we, we do support life from beginning to end. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy as we open up your word this morning. Uh, Lord, I just pray that the spirit of God would go before us and just remind us of the blessing it is to be uh, called a follower of Christ. Uh, Lord, because of your grace and your mercy towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We're going to be in verses 16 through 20 this morning. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. Uh, there should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 926, uh, 926. At the conclusion of our service uh, today, both services today, we have the opportunity to uh, uh, pray over some individuals who have uh, committed their lives uh, to uh, God's work uh, across the globe. And so uh, if you're able to stay after the service, I would encourage you uh, to do so as we have just a brief update uh, from those individuals because of the uh, situation that they're, they're in or going into uh, and the, the protective measures that we need to take. We will uh, cut the live stream uh, at the end of the service and I also want to encourage everyone here uh, that stays to not record anything or take pictures of anything uh, because we want to be mindful of that. But that'll be happening at the conclusion of our service and we're very, very thankful for that. As we begin a new year, uh, what are some things that you're determined to do or commit to? Uh, every time we begin a new year, there's a part of us, most of us, uh, that they're, they're, we want to be sensitive for those commitments that we seek to make or those recommitments that we want to kind of rehash. Maybe uh, for you, it's a new diet, uh, you know, the 20th one, right? It's going to work. Uh, maybe it's a workout plan. Uh, maybe uh, there's a hobby that you want to pick up. Maybe you want to have an intentional budget or have more dates with your spouse or uh, a reading plan or, or maybe a better grades or uh, maybe there's that area of the house that you just continue to neglect but this is the year uh, that it's going to be addressed right 
Uh, whatever it is, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's noble. I'm sure it's going to require more than you're willing to give because anything worth doing does require more than we're willing to give at times, right? Uh, but in the midst of all of that, I want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself not to lose sight of the very thing that we should be committed to and recommitted to, uh, and it is what we oftentimes uh, call or define the Great Commission, uh, the Great Commission. So in the midst of all those things, let us be reminded of the beauty and the commitment we should have uh, to God's mission in the world. When you think about the Great Commission that we'll look at this morning, uh, some form of the Great Commission occurs in all four Gospels, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it also uh, is shown in the book of Acts, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, when the, uh, the Lord birthed the church into existence. And as we look at the Great Commission this morning, I, I want us to see not just a commission that the Lord gives or commands to us, which it is, I want us to see something else as well. I want us to see the amazing grace of our King, King Jesus. Because in our passage this morning, uh, the very reason why the Great Commission exists and is sustained and is able to be carried out is because of the grace of our King. So this morning, as we look at Matthew 28 through 16 through 20, uh, let us see the grace of our King. Beginning in verse 16, the scripture says, Jesus, uh, th- Jesus will speak in just a moment, but the scripture says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. So this would have been after Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. So shortly after that period, uh, the scripture says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, uh, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. That is a great commission. And then he says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so as we unpack this great commission Uh, What I want us to see is three amazing uh, graces that the King of Grace bestows on us as followers of Christ. The first is the grace of Jesus' authority. Uh, The grace of Jesus' authority. So as we begin a new year, uh, as we uh, begin a time of maybe for you for the very first time, committing to uh, God's plan and will for your life or recommitting to that as we unpack the Great Commission, we must see the grace of the King's authority. Authority, And we see this beginning in verses 16 and 17. The scripture says, uh, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now think about these two verses and what the, the scripture is teaching us. There were, there were 11 disciples that went to Galilee. Now it's, it's possible uh, that there was more than that, but the scripture specifically talks about these 11 disciples. And, and, but what we do know is that Judas isn't there, right? Judas wasn't a true follower of Christ. He was a part of that original 12, but at the end of the day, he wasn't a true follower of Christ. He didn't uh, give his life to Jesus. And so that begs the question, what is a disciple of Christ? A disciple of Christ is someone who puts their faith in Jesus and commits their life to Jesus' teachings and ways. So we know at least 11 were there in Galilee, right? Uh, These 11 disciples would have committed uh, uh, over three years of their life to Jesus' teaching and to his ways. And even after Jesus' death, this is important, even after Jesus' death, they're still following Jesus. How do we know? Because the scripture says they went to Galilee, right? 
This is what Jesus told them to do. That after he died and rose from the grave, now again, they didn't understand all the ramifications of this. He says, I'll see you again in Galilee, right? Uh, and Galilee's important for many reasons. One, this is where their hometown is, right? The disciples grew up there. The, the disciples had businesses there, right? Uh, this is the very place that Jesus commanded them to go. And so they go, but they don't just go to Galilee. They go to a mountain. Now, we, we don't know exactly what mountain it is, but what we do know if you just think about uh, the Gospel of Matthew uh, just by itself, some amazing, awesome things happen on the mountainside, right? It's on the mountain where Satan tempted Jesus, and yet Jesus did not sin. It's on the mountain where Jesus taught with amazing grace and authority the great Sermon on the Mount. It's on the mountaintop where Jesus fed the 4,000. It's on the hillside or the mountain that, that we saw the transfiguration of Jesus. And it was on Mount Calvary where Jesus bled and died for the sins of the world. And for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the full wrath of God is forever satisfied, right? So there are some amazing things that happen on the mountain, the hillside, specifically in the Gospel of Matthew. So it's no wonder that when we get to this passage in Matthew 28, the, the disciples are in Galilee, they're on the hillside, they're on the mountain. They see their resurrected Lord, and what did they do? What's their response? The scripture says that they worshiped him. And if we just stopped right there, man, that would be awesome. But Matthew doesn't stop there, right? He gives a true encounter of what's happening. The scripture goes on to say not only did they worship him, but some doubted. Now that begs a question, who doubted? If it's just the 11, which of the 11? If it's more than that, who were they? The, the other questions are, when, when did they doubt? Was it while they were worshiping Jesus that some began to doubt? I'd lean more towards that understanding, that in the midst of their worshiping the Lord, their resurrected Lord, there begins to be a doubt that wells up into them. That word doubt is important. It, it only occurs one other time, one other time in the New Testament, and it's actually a word that Matthew uses. Uh, it, it goes back to Matthew 14 when Jesus is walking on water. And, and Peter, we got to love Peter. Peter says, Jesus, I want to come to you, right? I want to walk on water to you. And Jesus says, all right, come on. Well, through that process, as Peter is walking on water, he, he begins to hesitate. And he begins to sink. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 14, 31? Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, took hold of Peter, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? That's the only other time that that word is used in the New Testament. And Matthew, Matthew uses it. In both places, the word doubt means to hesitate. So we don't know exactly why or who uh, the disciples were or why they're doubting or hesitating and if the truth be told about us as followers of Jesus Christ today, is it possible that many of our experiences of worship to the Lord also have a level of hes hesitation to them? I mean, think about it. If we're honest, we come before the Lord and we are worshiping him, but there's still a, a part of us that begins to hesitate, right? And here's the beauty. How does Jesus respond to their doubt, their hesitation? How does Jesus respond to your doubt and my hesitation? Listen to the claim that is given in verse 18. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do you see the grace that is here? Jesus doesn't come out of the gate saying, Okay, you're hesitating, you're doubting, here's the Great Commission. He doesn't scold them for that. He doesn't beat them down for that. Jesus, by his grace, does what? He shifts their hesitation back to his authority and his sovereignty. I know you're scared. I know you're confused. I know you're not sure what's coming down the pipe. I know you're sensing a calling on your life that is far greater than you, far greater than what you're willing to commit to. But you can trust me. With one amazing statement, Jesus says, I have the right, I have the power, and I have the authority to do what I want when I want. Why? Because it says his father gave him this authority. His father gave him this authority. Remember when Jesus is praying before the father in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he goes to the cross, he says what? Not my will, but your will, right? So Jesus is humbly submitting to the father's will And what does the father do? The father bestows on him the greatest authority ever, right? This authority that was prophesied by Daniel uh, 600 years, more than 600 years before the birth of Jesus. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, the scripture says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's a great phrase because that phrase, like a son of man, or that phrase specifically, son of man, is a phrase used uh, over 30 times by Matthew himself, as a title given to Jesus Christ, right? And the scripture says, uh, and he came to the ancient of days. The ancient of days is a reference to God the Father. And the scripture says, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed, right? And when you read Matthew's account of the gospel, guess what? Jesus' authority is on full display. When it comes to creation and nature and nations and even politics, demons, disease, death, and sin, who has ultimate authority? Who has complete authority over all those things? King Jesus does. Authority so great that the scripture says that there is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it's the authority of Jesus that guides and powers and protects his bride, the church. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, and I, Jesus, tell you, you are Peter. Talking about Simon, Simon Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is telling his disciples then, he's telling his disciples today that I'm, I'm, I'm picking a fight, right? The gates only do one thing. They defend. And Jesus says, I'm attacking, right? You, you're, on the, you're on the offensive here. And Jesus says, I am attacking. Satan and his kingdom, they're on notice, right? I'm coming after them, right? That through my sinless life, my sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross, and my physical resurrection from the dead, I am here to conquer what? Satan, sin, and death. The offensive is there. Why? Because Jesus has all authority. So the church may not act perfectly. It may be battered and bruised and hesitant at times, but it is the bride of Christ. And ultimately, the church will have victory because Jesus is the ultimate authority. Praise God for that. When the angel Gabriel was telling Mary, 
who was a virgin at the time, that she was going to give birth to Jesus, she asked a very important question, how is this possible? And the response that was given in Luke 1.37 was this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Why? Because he has ultimate authority. Do you believe in the authority of Jesus today? Have you committed your life and submitted your life to the authority of Jesus in your life? Here's the point. The church's calling, the church's commissioning rests entirely on the authority of Jesus. And that authority is extended to the bride of Christ, his church. The second grace that we see in our passage this morning is the grace of Jesus's plan. Jesus's plan. Again, of all the people that Jesus could give the great commission to, he gives it to those who are doubters and those who are hesitant. People like you and I, right? God uses imperfect people to carry out his perfect plan because that's who he is, right? And what is Jesus's perfect plan for the world? To his disciples, Jesus says, I have been given all authority. Therefore, in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. There's only one command in those verses. And what is the command? Make disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? As a follower of Jesus Christ in relationship with him, it's the lifelong process of committing your life to Jesus's teachings and his ways and bringing other followers of Christ along with you in that process. That's what discipleship is all about. That's what making disciples is all about. And this is why life groups are so important, right? It's important to not only gather for worship like we're doing today, but it's also important to, to engage in smaller groups where you can spend time with other believers, right? So that's all important. So he's talking about community here. He's talking about a process here. When Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to be disciple makers. You go back to Matthew four nineteen when Jesus calls those original disciples. The scripture says, and he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, talking to his disciples, follow me. Again, lifelong commitment. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a checking of the box. It's not walking down an aisle. It's not raising your hand. It may include those things, but ultimately it's a lifelong commitment of following Jesus in what? In relationship, not just commands, but in a relationship. And the scripture says, and I, speaking of Jesus, will make you. I will produce in you. A new heart, a new love, new desires, new perspective, new purpose in life, right? As you follow me, these things will happen. So he changes us. He equips us, right? He calls us. The scripture says that he will make us what? He will make us fishers of men. When it comes to being a disciple and making disciples, Jesus is the focus. Do you see that here? He is the ultimate focus of it all. Jesus invites you to himself. He invites you into a process of being a lifelong follower of him to be transformed from the inside out. And then he invites you and I to this incredible task, this gospel task, his mission into the world. It reminds us that we have one ultimate mission, to bring glory to the Lord by making disciples. Your ultimate mission isn't to have a large bank account. Your ultimate mission isn't to have creature comforts of this world. Right? Your ultimate mission is not to have one achievement after another achievement after another achievement. Your ultimate mission is bringing glory to the Lord by making disciples. Now the question is, how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? Well, he teaches us, first part of verse 19, he says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now the question is, why do we go? Because that reflects Jesus, right? Jesus, our Savior, 2,000 years ago, did what? He took the initiative. He came to us. 
He put on flesh and bone, right? Died on the cross for your sin and my sin to redeem all people. That's why the going is to what? All nations, all people groups, right? That means no one is off limits. Jesus practiced this. In Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, the scripture says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, talking about Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious people of the day, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Yes, he does. And it's a reminder to us as the church that our our religious, our really, I'm not even going to go that way because I can't say the word. But we can't hide behind the mission that Christ has called us to for the sake of religious activity. Because we will be just like the Pharisees and the scribes. We will grumble when we see people that we don't think are worthy of the gospel come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Peter, or Paul, uh, Jesus is showing us that I've, I've, I've met with you. I've had meals with you. Why? Because you are... You are worth saving, right? By going, it allows us to meet people where they are, to meet them with all their problems and struggles, to minister to them both physically and spiritually. Uh, the ministry of the church isn't about a bunch of programs, newsflash, right? It's about going and ministering to people. And this begs the question, honest question, for the church and for us as individuals, what matters most to you? The ministry that you're a part of or the people that are in that ministry? Listen, that's why methods in the church don't change because we're so fixated on the ministry itself. We lose sight of the people. And when that happens, guess what? Gospel impact ceases to exist. It's happening all across the globe. So as you are committed to whatever that ministry is, don't lose sight of the people. Don't lose sight of the people for the sake of your ministry. Engage and build relationships with those who do not know the Lord. Why? Because the primary way that God reaches people is through who? Through his people, right? We assume that the more perfect our ministries are, the more people will come to know Christ. And that's not always the case. In other words, we could be so committed to crossing every T and dotting every I and miss the people in the process, right? God can certainly use our ministries, but nothing is as compelling and convincing as a personal encounter with the message of Jesus Christ. We get to share the message of Jesus. Sharing our faith is not a burden to bear, but a privilege to proclaim God's amazing grace. Paul writes in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, uh, the quote there is found in Isaiah 52, verse uh, 7. That's where Paul is quoting from. And the context here is, this is a joyous and amazing occasion. Why? Good news has come from Babylon to Jerusalem. And the news is coming to Jerusalem from Babylon is that captivity is over, right? They've been in captivity for a long time and deliverance is now here. And, and what makes the messenger's feet so beautiful is because the message they bring is beautiful. And the same is true for us. We have a message to share, right? Wherever you go, be a visible, a visible follower of Christ. As you go to school, go to work, uh, parent in the home, play on the ball field, ride the bus, whatever it is, run a business, work for a company, be a visible representation of Jesus Christ. Share the message of Christ, serve the hurting, love the unlovable. It takes intentionality, does it not? How do we make disciples? Goes on to say uh, in verse 19, the second part, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is what? It's a proclamation of God's amazing grace. In baptism, we are showing that our old life, 
our old sinful ways are buried in his death, and our new life has been raised in his glorious uh, resurrection, right? The Father has called me, uh, Jesus has redeemed me, and it's the Holy Spirit of God who seals me to, for eternity, right? Praise be to God, right? Uh, so, and we, why do we do it by immersion? Again, old life buried in his death, new life raised in his glorious resurrection, right? So though baptism does not save me, it is an amazing proclamation to uh, the church and to the world that I identify with Jesus Christ. I am new in Christ, right? My life has forever changed, right? Paul writes about this in Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So your relationship with Jesus isn't just a private thing, it is a very public thing, right? Jesus changes us from the inside out. And because of that amazing work of grace in our life, our life is changed. It's a testimony to the work of the Lord. Baptism also reminds us, again, of that new identity and that new community or family that we belong to. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 27 through 28, For as many of you uh, as were baptized in Christ uh, have put on Christ... In other words, we have a new identity. Uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful picture. So in that baptism, right, that we do, and by God's grace, we have been doing a lot of those. It's a picture of, again, our new identity in the Lord. Uh, It's also a picture of that we belong to a new community, uh, a new family, right? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We're on the same team. Praise be to God for that. So there's unity. There's power. It reminds us that more than our political views, we're a Christian first, right? I mean, don't we need that? I'm telling you, this year is going to be an interesting year. Don't lose sight of who you are because of your political agenda, right? Know who you are and whose you are. You are a Christ follower. More than our culture and our race, we are Christians. More than our religious backgrounds or activities, we are Christians, right? Have you been baptized before? And if you have been baptized, is your life reflecting who you are in Christ now? By God's grace, we can do that. We can do that. How do we make disciples? Verse 20, the scripture says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word teach means to instruct. The word observe doesn't mean uh, just soaking in a bunch of information. It means to apply it to your life, right? To live it out, right? Uh, And so we're not just learning, but we're living it out. Every believer is assigned the God-given task of being a teacher in some way, right? That, that is true of all of us. We have been given an amazing message of God's grace, and now we have the opportunity to, to teach. Uh, and that's why God's word is so important. In many ways, we live in a day and age where the church wants to water down the word or even get away from the word of God altogether, right? But God's word is critical for making disciples. In other words, drawing large crowds of people. And making disciples of Jesus Christ aren't necessarily the same thing, right? So celebrate what's worth celebrating, Don't celebrate the masses. Celebrate those who are following Jesus Christ and who are bringing people along in the process. Concerning the word of God, Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all scripture, each and every part, is breathed out by God. In other words, God is the source, he is the author, and he is the authority of the word, right? The Bible is not man's thoughts about God. The Bible is God's revelation about himself to man, right? So that's important. And, and the word of God is, is amazing because it says that uh, it is profitable. That is, it's sufficient. 
What is it sufficient for? It's sufficient for teaching, right? It instructs us, it leads us. It's it's sufficient for reproof. Uh, In other words, there's gonna be some things that we're not doing that's right, right? So it's going to discipline us. It's going to, it's gonna expose error. And not only that, it's good for correction, right? When it tells us that we're off track, it's gonna be the means by how we get back on track, right? And then the scripture says, and for training in righteousness. But what is the purpose of all that? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, everything we need to live a life that honors him and leverages everything for his mission in the world, he's already given to us, right? Uh, We are powerful people because of Jesus Christ. The question is, how should we teach the word? Is it just primarily what we do on Sunday morning? That is important. Don't get me wrong. Is it uh, just sitting behind a desk and, and teaching someone instruction? No, uh, it's more than that. It, it includes that, but it's, it's how you model your life, right? Uh, what better way to teach someone how to pray than by modeling it? Uh, what better way to teach somebody to, to be a, a faithful husband or wife or uh, someone to be faithful in, in, with the gift of singleness or whatever it is by, by showing them what it looks like, not just telling them. And we have an opportunity not to just tell, uh, but to show. But this requires work, Right? You got to get down and dirty sometimes, and it's not going to be easy, right? This is a difficult work because you're held accountable to it. The person that you're discipling is held accountable to it. But I love what Paul reminds us of concerning the ministry of the church in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him, speaking of Jesus, we proclaim. In other words, we make him known, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present or prepare everyone mature in Christ. And so the simplest form of maturity in Christ is this, his life being lived in me and through me. And what is the the purpose of that? Uh, To present everyone mature in Christ. We can't force people to do it, but we can encourage, right? We can show them. The scripture says in verse 29, for this I toil. So Paul says, man, I've been taking a beating, right? The ministry of the church is not an easy thing. He says, "I, I struggle, but how does he struggle with all his energy, not Paul's, but the Lord's energy that powerfully works within him. And that's the key. God is calling us into some dirty situations, some complex situations. And all those complex situations involve who? Involves people, right? So how is it going to be carried out? It's going to be carried out through the power of the Lord working in us. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of somebody's growth. But it is also a difficult thing. Jesus' gracious plan for the world is for him, by him, and through him. Will you join that, him in that mission? And then lastly, uh, the grace of Jesus' presence. The grace of Jesus' presence. I love how uh, this passage ends. So uh, the Gospel of Matthew ends with this uh, phrase, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Man, that's a powerful promise, is it not? To know that Jesus will be with us always to the end of the age. You think about where we began before the great commission was given the scripture says i've been given all authority right and then the great commission ends with what this amazing promise of jesus's presence what's amazing is if you take a step back just for a moment and you look at the beginning of a gospel uh, matthew's account of the gospel what does he say he says in matthew 1 23 behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name emmanuel which means what god with us so God is with us from beginning to end so it's a personal comfort that Jesus is with me right and when is he with me always every circumstance every situation he is with me 
Every conversation I have, he is with me. When we go out into the world, no matter what, he is leading us, right? Again, making disciples is difficult and messy at times. Why? Because we're sinful people living in a sinful world. Yet in his grace, we're reminded that he is with us. With us. So it doesn't matter what the threat is, right? Doesn't matter what the attack is. We know that what? That Jesus is with us. Even in our times where we face complex situations and we feel just completely inadequate. You ever been there before? We're reminded that Jesus is with us. And it's an unending comfort to the end of the age. As long as we're here on this earth, Jesus will be with us each step of the way as we take his mission to the world. It reminds me of the instruction that was given to Joshua. Again, Joshua in the Old Testament takes over uh, the leadership role that Moses had. Moses had that leadership role for 40 years. Uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, it says that, that the people of God did not know a leader like Moses, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, Moses is on his deathbed, essentially, and he's transitioning that, that leadership over to Joshua uh, because that's what the Lord instructed. And, 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 and Joshua's fearful, right? He's afraid. He's, he's not sure he's going to measure up, right? And what does the Lord remind Joshua? Joshua 1.9. Scripture says, I have not command, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You're not alone. So maybe part of your commitment or recommitment this year is, you know, there's a coworker that I've been working with. And I, I wanna I wanna share the gospel with them. I want to invite them out to lunch. Know that before the moment you tap that coworker's shoulder and invite them to lunch, guess what? Jesus is with you, right? That person in your school that you sit next to or you uh, play ball with, guess what? Before you open your mouth, know that Jesus is with you. And the same Jesus that conquered your heart with his amazing grace is the same Jesus that can conquer their heart with his amazing grace. Do you cherish the promise of God's presence in your life? Let's go back to that passage in Matthew because I love what it says. And behold, take notice. I, even I, I am with you always to the end of the age. Embrace the comfort that Jesus gives us. He promises to be with you wherever you go. Do you see the grace of our king in this passage? Yes, it is a great commission. But that great commission is only great because Jesus gave it. Jesus has all authority, a plan for all nations to observe all he has commanded, and he promises to be with us at all time. So how should we respond to that promise? What is our response today? If deep down you're thinking, all right, I'm going to go out and do, I'm going to say pause, don't do it yet. Again, it's about relationship. First and foremost, your relationship with him. So I encourage you as a follower of Christ, abide in him. Is that not what Jesus instructed his disciples before he went to the cross in John 15? John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So before you get the inclination to go out and do, first abide. And as you are going, as you are baptizing, as you are teaching, Continually abide. Enjoy the fellowship that you have with Jesus because of the relationship that you have. The very fact that Jesus prayed it, prayed it all is an amazing motivation for us to be on mission with the Lord. 
Praise be to God that he has encountered us in our lives, intervened in our lives, has shown us his marvelous grace. He has brought us from death to life, and that opportunity is for you today. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, let the first Sunday of 2024 be the mark for you. That I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My life is forever changed. To God be the glory. I have a new identity in him. I am part of a new family, a new community. I have a new mission. I have his presence in my life. If that is your decision today, I'd love to pray with you. I would encourage you that.